Good morning, everybody. That sounds like a rainy day, hello. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, that's good. I like that better. How y'all doing today? We, uh, we had a great seminar last weekend. If you couldn't be with us, I, I'm sorry, but uh, we had a, a great time, Eric Lyons. We were talking this morning about preachers some. Uh, you talk about a good preacher. Uh, Eric is a very good preacher. Uh, he stands uh, very tall in my book. I appreciate him very much, his honesty, sincerity, integrity, his knowledge. He's got a lot of knowledge. Uh, I always learn whenever he comes to spend time with us. And we're glad that you're with us today and spending time with us as well. Uh, I've got a big subject I want to talk about this morning, and that's the family of Jacob. Jacob was named Israel by God. Uh, this was a, a name God gave him late in life. He was a much older man. And we know the reason that would be the name of a nation eventually. At the time this name was given to Jacob, uh, his family wasn't all that large. There was 70 souls in total when they went down into Egypt. But uh, eventually, in a relatively short period of time, actually, they would become a, a mighty nation, m numbering in the millions. <clears throat> Jacob's family grew numerically uh, as God intended. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 7, we're told the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly. They multiplied. They grew exceedingly mighty. Uh, they had, I mean, they had so many children in a relatively short couple hundred years. They had so many children, it's, it just blows the mind uh, how fast they did multiply. And the land, we're told, the land of Egypt, that is, in Goshen, was filled with those Israelites. And therefore, because of their fear, the Egyptians feared the numbers of the Israelites. You got to remember the Israelites were foreigners living in a strange land. The Egyptians were the property owners, and now they've got all these foreigners living in their land. They were slaves, but they were still numerically uh, superior to the Egyptians. And the Egyptians started getting a little bit worried about that. If these people were to throw in with an invading force that came against us, we might well lose the battle. And they were concerned. So they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. They became very cruel to the Israelites, making them uh, work from sunup to sundown, uh, giving them uh, very tedious jobs to do, very backbreaking work and beaten regularly as they worked. But the more they afflicted them, the more they tried to make them so tired that they would not reproduce, it didn't stop them. They kept reproducing more and more children all the time. Their numbers were growing and swelling. Israel's population explosion could not be stopped no matter what the Pharaoh and his wise men tried to do to slow down the growth of these people. 
they were unsuccessful. They just kept on multiplying. Uh, population overload and their concern uh, grew greatly. In Genesis chapter 46 and verse 3, you can also look at Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 5. The Lord said, this is speaking to Jacob sometime back, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt. This was the divine plan all along. For I will make of you a great nation there. God promised that he would make Israel a great nation. Pharaoh tried to defeat that promise. He tried to slow down her growth. He tried to do everything he could to make it where the Israelites just would not feel like repopulating anymore. But God continued to give Israel the increase in peoples. He had a goal, the Lord did. He aspired to achieve something. You see, it wouldn't be too long into the future that Israel was going to conquer the land of Canaan and she would become a nation herself. As a nation, she was going to have to be strong enough numerically where she could fight off invaders. The invaders would come in and defeat her. So the Lord wanted her to grow numerically so that she would be mighty when somebody came up against her and they'd be unable to defeat them because they would fill the land of Canaan with their population. I will make of you a great nation. And our Pharaoh's trying to stop it, but he's not having any success. In Exodus chapter 1 and verse 12, we're told that the Egyptians were in dread of the children of Israel. They were really afraid of what they might do, what they could do, if they just took it upon themselves to do it. Something had to give. Something had to stop this population explosion. Pharaoh decided to deal with it. First, he told the midwives, these were the Hebrews, that no, they didn't have doctors, they had midwives that helped women give birth. He told the midwives that when a male child was born, throw him in the Nile River. The females keep them alive. They make good slaves. But the males, kill them. Well, the midwives, <clears throat> they feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. They were fearful of Pharaoh, make no mistake. He held their lives or their deaths in his hand, and they knew it. But they <clears throat> weren't going to take those children and throw them into the Nile River. That was just, that was too unbecoming of a thing to do, and they refused to do it. So he came up with a second plan. He was going to enlist even more help. So he spoke this time not to the Hebrews, but to the Egyptian people. Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast into the river. Every daughter you shall save alive. Now the whole nation's involved in this thing. Whenever a Hebrew gives birth to a male, you pitch that child in the Nile River. And they did. Many, many, many children were pitched into the Nile River because of Pharaoh's command. He and his nation was going to feel shortly what Moses looked back on at this period in time. And he said, the Lord, the chastening of the Lord 
His greatness and his mighty hand and his outstretched arm brought us up out of Egypt. Even though Pharaoh did the best he could possibly do to slow down the growth of the Israelites, he was unsuccessful. And the reason he was unsuccessful was because God had another plan in mind. And when God has a different plan in mind, and if your plan opposes God, you will lose. You will not be successful. You will be defeated. It doesn't matter how wise you think you are. It doesn't matter how powerful you think you are. It doesn't matter how much money you may have. If a nation challenges the will of God, mark it down in your book. That nation will lose that battle. Pharaoh didn't believe it either. But he learned better with the passing of time. They were baby killers. They were, they were, because of population control concerns, they killed the baby. All of them, the males, that was their concern. Population growth. And therefore they killed the babies. And they justified it. Because they had to do this in order to protect their nation It sounds awful, doesn't it? It sounds unbelievable. That an edict would be issued wherein all male babies had to be thrown into the Nile River. But it happened. It really did happen. In Genesis chapter 9 and 6, God gave a law long before this time he said, whoever sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. Now, some people have misinterpreted the words of the Lord. They believe that if you knock out my eye, I ought to knock out your eye. That's not what the law means. What the law means is that the judicial systems that exist when one man takes the life of innocence, that man's life is required. And the state should require that life. That was the divine law giving back in the beginning. And the Lord meant for it to be kept. Even today, we're taught the same thing in Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. Where the government doesn't bear the sword in vengeance. And the... the, the the sword at that time was the equivalent of what we would call the electric chair or the gas chamber. When spoken in the context as it is, the sword was the instrument by which men were put to death, like Paul was. He was beheaded because, according to the Roman authorities, he, he committed a capital offense, and they took his head off. So God gave the governing authorities the right to execute a human being given the right circumstances. 
And one of the most fundamental laws of all is that if you take the life of an innocent person, your life must be taken. Now, I'm not talking about an accident. I'm talking about a deliberate taking. God gave that law a long, long time ago. But it's as true today as it was then. We don't do it. We're too cultured, a society, to do that. We would never think of taking a man's life. Doesn't matter what he does. We'll put him in jail. We'll keep him in jail for the next 90 years if he lives that long. And the taxpayers will pay about forty to $50,000 a year to keep him in that jail. But even though the man committed a capital offense, he lives on. We're more refined than God. We're more caring than God. We're more loving than God because we understand that people make mistakes and we don't take their lives anymore. Few states do. Most do not. But God's law was given long ago, and there's a reason why God gave that law. For man's blood shall be shed for because that innocent was made in the image of God. This was God's son or daughter. This was God's babies that were being thrown into the Nile. Oh yes, they had, they had an Israelite father and mother, but they were God's because it's God who formed the spirit within the womb of that mother. While mom and daddy created the body, God created the spirit. The spirit's what animates the body. The person that is talking to you now is not flesh and blood. The person talking to you now is a spiritual person. Because we are both body and spirit. And God says when one terminates the life of an innocent, that one should die. And God watching. He's watching. We don't have the power to carry out the divine law in this capacity. We, we don't have it. God didn't give it. We don't have it. and We can't do anything about it. But our attitudes towards the matter need to be in line with God's attitude. We ought to hold the same thought towards things that God has. The Lord said, if a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. That should be our thoughts. When a person chooses not to work, let him get hungry, God said. He'll go to work in. But we're, we're kinder than God. We're more knowing than God. 
We have more love in our hearts than God. We can't control what the government does. But we can control our attitude. And our attitude ought to be in line with God's. His thoughts ought to be my thoughts. In Psalm 78, David, looking back at the exodus and the punishment of Israel in the wilderness, said that God cast on them the fierceness of his anger, his wrath, his indignation, and his trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. I'm sorry, I said Israel. This is Egypt during the time of the exodus. He made a path for his anger. He did not spare their soul from death. He gave their life over to the plague. And he destroyed all the firstborn in Egypt, the first of their strength in the tents of Ham. There were different reasons why the Lord did it. But make no mistake, those babies being thrown into the Nile River was in the front of his mind. Children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a heritage which the Lord has graciously given to us. Our children are a gift from God Almighty. The children were created in the image of God, and they were given life. My son and daughter bear my image in the flesh. But in spirit, they bear the image of God. They are God's children first. They are my children secondly. And when you kill a child that belongs to God, God knows what you did. And he never forgets his law. These were lives Pharaoh had no right to take, but he did. He did. And because of that, he and his nation had to pay the piper. And it came at a very high cost. And that was only in this world. They still had the final judgment to pass through. Moses gave a law, as did God in the beginning. In Exodus 20, verse 13, in what we know as the Ten Commandments, the law was, you shall not murder. Numbers 35 and 30 says, the murderer shall be put to death. The Israelites had the same law that the patriarchs did in the beginning. Number one, do not kill innocent blood. Number two, if you kill innocent blood, you are to be killed. And I suppose, as it happened with Egypt, if we don't take care of business, that the Lord shall, one day, the right day, even in this life. Proverbs 6, 16 and 17 Solomon said the Lord hates hands that shed innocent blood. There is no more innocent blood than the blood of a baby. 
And we know that. We know that without anyone to tell us. We know that. And the very idea of someone hurting a baby, it just, it just tugs at our hearts. Sometimes even making us very angry. Especially when we find out what's been done to that poor child. But whatever contempt we have for such actions ourselves, could you just imagine the contempt that Jehovah feels when someone takes his offspring from him? Abortion, the termination of innocent human life. And that's what it is. We're hearing a lot about abortion these days. Joe Biden is constantly beating his chest that there are going to be more babies killed during the last two years of his administration than was before. And he's going to see to it. Some say he'll be known as the abortion president. What a legacy, huh? Pharaoh couldn't get away with it. He was much more powerful than Biden is. Shall we suppose Biden will get away with it? Shall we suppose that the pressure that's being applied to Congress right now is going to make it possible for Biden to get away with it? He's got the Senate on his side. How's he going to do with the House? The House can stop him. I pray to God the House does stop him. I still, I still can't believe that people want to kill their babies. I don't get it. I honestly can't get it. So many people would give anything to have a baby. And some people just throw them in a dumpster. How can that be? I've never understood this. And I've struggled with this for a long, long time. Long before I became a Christian, Obama was an abortion president. He tried to pass laws. He did pass laws, as a matter of fact, that made abortion more accessible. And, of course, during that time, more abortions were performed than had been performed previous years. He was a champion of women's rights. He was a champion of abortion. one of the most ignorant men I've ever listened to speak. And I can say that without apology. He's referred to by his White House as a consistent champion of women and abortion. He was proud of his record. Talked about it all the time. 
And you know the sad thing is the poor man didn't understand what he was talking about. And he even admitted it. He didn't know when an unborn child was fully human. That's the way I think most people are. They don't understand when a, a what we call him, fetus becomes a human being. And Biden, or Obama rather, was one that would admit it. Presidential Candidates Forum, August 16, 2008. That very question was asked. When does an unborn child become fully human? <clears throat> His response, that's above my pay grade. He admitted that. Now I want you to think about that. You hear politicians talk all the time. But stop and think about what these people say. When does an unborn child become human, Obama? I have no idea. Is it all right for a woman to kill it? Absolutely. If that unborn child becomes human at conception, then you're consenting to the lawful death of an innocent human being. How could a man that doesn't know when life begins, how can such a man take a position that someone has a right to kill that baby while it's in the womb? How can you make that decision? It's an admission to killing the innocent if they happen to be human. It seems to me that any person in their right mind, if they don't know when human life begins, would not consent to killing the unborn. Because as far as I know, you're killing a person protected by the Constitution of the United States. It's called the right to life. Unless you're in your mother's womb. I don't remember reading that in the Constitution. Well, it's in the, their version of it, I suppose. I find this atrocious. I, I absolutely do. He was a consistent champion. <laughs> no, he, he was a politician. What do you want me to say? And that's what he says. I got to sit down. I'm going to get hot if I don't. <sighs> the Guttmacher Institute reported that from 1973 through 2005, more than 45 million legal abortions occurred. From 1973 to 2005, was that 42 years, something like that? 45 million babies were thrown into the Nile River. Pharaoh didn't get away with it. Are these people so smart that they figured out a way to get away with it? 
or shall there be a payday like there was for Egypt? Our nation doesn't listen to God. Used to call us a Christian nation. That wasn't true. But I know why people said it. Because the principles of New Testament Christianity weighed heavily on the minds of the American people. That day is gone. That day is now gone. Today, the Bible isn't allowed to be read in the schools. Why? Because God is no longer involved in our thoughts. terrifies me that absolutely terrifies me not for me I'm old I don't care anymore but it terrifies me on behalf of our younger people and our children it makes me cry almost on a daily basis it makes me cry you take Alabama, Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee. You take the population of all those states and roll them into one. And their population is less than a number of 45 million. In our country, more children have been killed, murdered since 1973 than what populates these states. That's not right. That's not right. There are various abortion methods that are employed. I'm not going to show any pictures. You don't want to see it. It'll make you sick. But I'll explain a little bit what they are. There's the suction aspiration procedure. The doctor will take a knife-like looking instrument and go up in the womb and he'll carve the baby into pieces because the baby is very small, very tender, and it's easy to cut into pieces. And then when he gets done, they'll take what looks like a vacuum hose, and they'll insert it in the uterus, and those parts will be sucked up in a vacuum. They'll be put in a garbage can, disposal can of some sort, and then when it gets full, they'll be dumped in the dumpster out behind the abortion clinic. There's the dilation and evacuation procedure. This happens to those who are about four months old. Take a device, to me it looked like a pair of war pliers. And the doctor goes up in the womb. He takes the limbs of the baby, pulls them out, pulls them out and throws them away. When he gets done with that, he'll crush the baby's head. He'll break its spine. And then they bring the baby out of the womb. Throw it in the garbage can. They all end up in the garbage can. 
There's a saline injection procedure. It's for babies usually at four months and above. They pour a solution of uh, salt and water. Uh, some refer to it as salt poisoning. They take the salt and water and they inject it into the uh, area where the baby lives and the baby will be completely immersed in this salty water and that salt will eat the flesh on the inside and on the outside because the baby ingests it. So the baby's being eaten alive by this saline procedure, both inside and outside. It's a very popular method, but it doesn't always work. Sometimes it, it fails to serve its purpose. Gianna Jensen, she was born two months premature. She only weighed two and a half pounds. They tried to abort her with a saline procedure. Uh, she was born and she was alive. And because she was alive and out of the womb, now they had to fight to keep her alive. They did. They were successful. That's Gianna today. If things had gone right, she would have wound up in the garbage can. But they, they went wrong. And she lived. In spite of some handicaps, she's now become a, a very influential woman. Involved in politics, I should say lobbying against politicians. Then there's partial birth abortion. The baby is completely out of the womb, except for the head. The doctor will take a, a device that looks to me like a pair of scissors, goes up in the nap of the neck on that baby, jabs it in, opens up the scissors, creates a hole, inserts that tube and sucks the brain out of the child. Pulls it on out, throws it in the garbage can. Pharaoh threw babies in the Nile River. I think by comparison, Pharaoh was much more gracious than our nation is. He must have had much more pity on the baby than what our nation does. We don't see, we won't listen, we don't want to know. More than a million babies were terminated last year. They will be terminated again this year. And that's those we know about. And people are applauding it. They're parading about it. They're protesting in favor of it because they really, really, really want to put those babies to death. I think that's sick. 
I hope you do too. Norma McCorvey, you've heard of her, but you probably don't know her as Norma McCorvey. Her name politically or publicly was Jane Roe. She was the Roe in the Roe versus Wade trial that took place before the Supreme Court. Her third child was born, but like the first two, which she gave away as soon as they were born, the third one she wanted to abort, but she couldn't because it was illegal in 1972. So she carried the baby to term, it was born, and she gave it away. She spent the next 20 years of her life trying to make abortions more palatable for people. She worked in abortion clinics. She didn't perform abortions, she wasn't a doctor. But she worked there where abortions took place. 20 years later, she changed her mind. She became a pro-life advocate. For 20 years, she was involved in one of the biggest court cases ever hit in our country. An advocate for abortion for 20 years and suddenly one day, bang, she was pro-life. And she argued in favor of the baby. In a book where she tells a story of change, she said the straw that broke the camel's back, what made her change her mind about abortion. She was told one day to go into the surgical room and to get all the parts of the baby together and make sure that all the parts had been retrieved from the mother, make sure we left nothing in her. And she went in there and there all the parts were laying. She said, I went back to the parts room and I looked at this tiny little infant and I freaked. She looked at this baby that was cut up in all those pieces it was undeniable, it was a baby. You could tell it was a baby. Anybody could tell it was a baby. And once she seen it, the light went on and she realized it was taking of human life. So she spent the rest of her life fighting against it. Amelia Sonia Taylor, born October 24, 2006 in South Florida. Now this isn't uncommon, this is what I was telling you about a few minutes ago. Sometimes uh, the saline procedure just doesn't work. The baby's born anyway. This child spent less time in the womb than any other survivor, surviving infant in recorded history. And this is according to the Associated Press, February 20, 2007. The abortion failed and the baby was born and it was small, almost fit in the hands of this nurse. At delivery, she was only nine and a half inches long and weighed less than a can of soda. Four months later, she was four and a half pounds, 15 and a half inches long 
and she was ready to go home. <coughs> this is Amelia in 2020 at the age of 14 playing her violin. They tried to kill her. They were unsuccessful. When she came out two months early, she was still alive. And she lived. You see, that is a human being in the womb. She wasn't a reptilian pig. She wasn't, she wasn't a bird. She wasn't a dinosaur. She was a human being. They tried to kill her. And she won that battle. What science knows about the first trimester of pregnancy, very quickly. Day 22, the heart beats with the child's own blood. Week five, got eyes, legs, hands beginning to develop. Week six, there are brain waves detectable. The mouth is formed, lips are growing, fingernails are appearing. Week seven, eyelids, toes, nose. The child kicks and swims around in the embryonic fluid. Week eight, every organ is in place. Bones replacing cartilage, fingerprints are now formed. Week nine and 10, teeth are, being, are forming inside the gums. The baby can turn its head and the baby frowns when it needs to frown. Week 11, the baby grasps objects with hand. We've all seen that baby that reached out of his mama's tummy and grabbed that doctor's finger that time. There's a picture that went around the world. Uh, that's what that baby did, grasped the object, the doctor's finger. <coughs> Organ systems are functioning, skeletal structure is present, nerves are present, and there is circulation. Week 12, baby has all parts necessary to experience pain including the nerves, spinal cord, and thalamus. Exodus 21:22 says, If men fight and hurt a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, it doesn't hurt the baby or the mother. He shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him. He's going to have to pay for what he did. And he shall pay as the judges determine. But if any harm follows, then you shall give a life for a life. You know what that implies. That baby in the mama is a life. It's a human life. And because that man who took the life of that human fetus, that man must die. That was God's law. Then and now. It's a moral law. It's an eternal law. That life was equal to a grown man's life, even though you couldn't see it. Indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived the Holy Spirit, or the angel told Mary, what did she conceive? She conceived a son. Didn't really need to say a son, did it? 
the word conceived tells the whole story. We know there wasn't a, a, a bird. We know a, every kind multiplies after its own kind. We know that. Didn't have to say a son, but he did. Wasn't going to be female, it was going to be a male. She's also conceived John the Baptist. He's referred to in verses 41 and 44 as a babe. The Greek is brephos, babe. It appears four other places in the New Testament. <clears throat> Luke 2, verses 12 and 16, twice. It's translated, brephos is translated babe. In Luke 18 and verse 15, brephos is translated infants. In Acts 7, verse 19, it's translated babies. The Bible tells us straight out that the unborn child is human. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to. It's not above my pay grade. Obama, if you read the Bible once in a while, you might know that. But that Bible reader apparently missed those verses. I don't know. When does an unborn child deserve human rights? It's not above our pay grade. Presidents, perhaps, but not us. My brothers and sisters, we can't stop what's going on. We can fight it. We can donate money to the cause. We can do whatever's in our little corner of the world to do. And I think we ought to. Somebody's got to speak for those who can't speak for themselves. But our attitude, do we approach the matter like God does? Or do we approach the matter like the world does? My friends, that speaks volume about who we are. Look into your heart. If you don't know God, you need to. Because one day we will give an account of the lives we have lived. And we, we really, really, really want to pass the judgment. Maybe as a Christian. Maybe we haven't got all our thoughts in line with God's thoughts. And maybe we, we just learned one of those things. If you're here today, if you need divine forgiveness, if you're not a Christian, you are to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Be immersed in water for remission of sins. As a Christian, we have got to possess the mind of Christ.